Shut up, Walker. You know what I want right now? I want some chicken nuggets. But that's going to have to wait. Because it's time for a podcast. All right. Season 3, episode 1. F- season 3, episode 1. If you guys have stuck with us so far for the first two seasons, plus the special guest season, which I guess is like season 2.5, we're so glad to have you here at the beginning of season 3. We're so excited for season 3. Uh, my name, of course, is Isaiah Leininger. Joining me today for the beginning of season 3, as always, he's always here, Walker Howell. Not always. I missed one episode. And that one, that, <laughs> that one doesn't count. Unless you want to go listen to it. And then you can. Go listen to the one with Lonnie Judge. That was a good episode. But anyways. Very good. Regardless. Best episode yet. Season, th- what? Best episode yet. Probably. Because I wasn't there. Well, <laughs> well, we'll say it's tied with all the others. Anyway, season three, we're going to be talking all about doctrinal issues. We're going to be talking all about things that divide Christians, that split Christians, that, you know, some, some people have difficulties understanding that some people have difficulty uh, comprehending. and But before we can really get into that, before we can get really into any of the doctrinal issues that we're going to get into later in this season, we have to kind of lay the f- groundwork, right? We have to lay the foundation for this. And so that's what these first three episodes are going to be about. As you can tell, the first episode is called The Inspiration of the Scriptures. And then the next two episodes, we're going to be talking about the authority of the scriptures and the differences between the two covenants. And so with the idea with these three episodes is that we're going, to, we're going to try to prove that the Bible is God's word, that the Bible has authority over us, and that the, the Bible uh, has these two covenants. And, and with those three episodes, we're going to be able to lay the foundation for everything that we're going to cover in season three. So we're very, very excited for season three. This is actually the last episode to be recorded of season three, or at least one of the last episodes. So we're doing th- things a little bit out of order. And I, so I, but, but because we did that, I can already tell you that the rest of season three, straight bangers. Yeah. Straight bangers. You're not going to want to miss them. And Sawyer's in two of them. Oh, yeah. yeah so. <laughs> this one and uh, the Lord's Supper one. Correct. So. Correct. So as Walker mentioned, we have Sawyer Reed here. Were you here for a... An earlier season? Or is I was this? not. No, okay. This is his first season. season. That's true. All right. And I he could... gets two premieres. That's okay. true. That's true. He gets two episodes in season three. I... I, I will say two disclaimers as to why this could be a crazy episode. Number one, <laughs> actually, no, three reasons. Number one, we have a live audience Hey, don't today. forget the second reason. Okay. I'm going to forget <laughs> the second reason. Second, um, I have a bit of a cough, um, so we'll see how that goes. And then number three, I've only known about this episode for two days. Yeah. So. Well, our, our, our first guest, unfortunately, was not able to make it as planned, but Sawyer, we're very thankful for yes. you and your willingness to jump in and to be able to uh, fill this void. Uh, but anyway, again, be great, so. uh, before we jump into the inspiration of the scripture, Sawyer, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself for those at home, <laughs> and then we'll start off by talking about the inspiration of the scripture. Well, this is deja vu. Um, <laughs> I am a, well, my name's Sawyer Reed. Um, I'm a sophomore Bible major and history major at Fried Hardman, uh, seeking my undergraduate degree. After that, I will probably want to get a master's degree and then someday a doctorate. Um, I want to go into ministry and then do something with history. I don't know. Um, and very thankful to be on the podcast. I'm a Part-time, part-time preacher. Part-time at two churches, that means. So a double part-time. Yeah, part-time. double part-time. There you go. Um, I'll just be full-time. Yeah, thankful to be doing it, though. I've learned a lot. So does two part-times equal full-time? 
I guess so. Yeah. That would make sense, right? Yep. Use addition. Yes. Yeah. Not necessarily. It could be one third plus one third. But anyway. And I'm very <laughs> excited about this study. It's something that I'm pretty passionate about. That's that's why I was pretty happy whenever Walker asked me to fill in. So. And we're very glad that you're willing and able to do this. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and jump into the episode. We spent you know the first five minutes goofing off. But now it's the time for us to... <laughs> To talk scripture and and really talk about is scripture inspired? That's that's the question that we're dealing with today. Is scripture inspired? So what do we mean by inspired? What do we what do we mean by inspiration? Well, our great creator, well not not actual creator, creator of the podcast, Mr. Walker Howell, defined <laughs> it as a sudden, brilliant, creative, <laughs> or timely idea. And whenever I read that, I was kind of like, eh, that, that's not really, I think, what we mean by um, someone being inspired, in terms of the Bible writers being inspired. Um, it's more like divine influence is leading to the writing of of the Bible. Um, the Bible is inerrant. And what inerrant means is it is completely right in everything. There are no flaws in it. There's no inaccuracies. The, the Bible is the word of God. It came straight from God without any flaws. Now, what does that mean? And what does it not mean? Okay, just because... We say the Bible is inerrant. It does not mean that we're saying there's no grammatical errors or there's no maybe inconsistencies or maybe they miss a historical fact or they maybe distort something a little bit because ultimately man is sinful and they make mistakes. But what we mean by inerrant and what most scholars say uh, inerrant means is that the ideas behind everything, the main idea the ideas in all the scriptures and the the original intent from the Holy Spirit is perfect. It is without flaw. Um, that's why we see we have all these different translations. We have King James. We have New King James. We have uh, New Legacy. We got NASB, which I'm using right now. We got ESV. We got NIV. We got all these different translations, but if you look at all the mainline translations that are actually trying to, dis- to, to uh, translate the Word of God in a genuine way, they all say basically the exact same thing. There's a few differences, but they all say the same thing. And you can read one of those Bibles and come to the same conclusions as someone that reads a different um, <laughs> form of the Bible, um, or a different translation of the Bible, I mean. And... That, that's why, that's what we really mean by the Bible being inerrant, and we can trust in that. Right. Now, the, uh, I'm, I'm going to challenge something that you said a little bit, Sawyer, just because I think you, you may have accidentally said something that kind of gives a, a poor connotation. You, you, you were talking about, you know, yeah, sometimes the scripture's not going to have, like, complete and total, you know, gr- grammatical uh, correctness and, and things like that. And, and that's, that's true, because... The Bible was originally written in he, uh, ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek, and so there's going to be some words that you know they had in those languages that we don't really have a good substitute for in English. Uh, but something else that you said, and I don't remember the exact way that you phrased it now because I'm old, and my memory is is awful. Same. But 
basically, what what you accidentally said was that the Bible could have like uh, imperfections in it in ter- in terms of like spiritual things, and I just I didn't say spiritual. Things. Well, that that may have been the way that it came across. Yeah, and so I just want to point yeah, out. So said straight, um, not not spiritual things. I mean, like maybe they got a location wrong. In history, or maybe they got a name wrong in the Old Testament. Like that—that's really what I mean by maybe some inaccuracies. Gotcha. Yeah. Like we've been, like in uh, Joshua Judges Ruth with Jim Garner, he's pointed out maybe some location things, but he ultimately said the Bible's still inspired, even though maybe man made a mistake. And okay, go ahead, go ahead. And really, those uh, those location things could all be because of translation mistakes, it and, could be, and yeah. you know, because like. For example, the uh, you mentioned the NIV earlier. Like, there's some translation mistakes within that one, and so there's re- it's really hard to get exact translations because n- no one is really perf- well. We have people who knew the languages and stuff, but there's often human error that occurs, and so that can happen. And, and part of the the problem with the locations maybe as well that the location changes name. Yeah. Right, especially in Palestine, in Israel, in that area of the world. That's an area of the world where conflict has just been, you know, since the beginning of time, conflict has been in that area of the world. And so you've had, you know, armies come in and conquer this land several times. Uh, you know, the Crusades and, you know, Alexander the Great and his, his you know, the, the kingdoms that were split after his death and, you know, the Roman Empire and all of these things. Right? And so when that happens, sometimes, you know, the, the conquering nation will change the name of a town. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so, like, like one example that I'm thinking of is it used to be called Istanbul, but now it's called Constantinople because of the Roman Empire. It's the other way around. Uh, is it? Yeah, it used to be called Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul. Thank you for catching that. <laughs> Point is, Isaiah needs help. <laughs> Isaiah needs sleep. Isaiah, Isaiah needs a nice meal and sleep, which is why I started this episode by talking off about chicken nuggets. But anyway, uh, welcome to college life, everybody. Anyway, the point is. There may be tiny little details like grammar, like spelling, things of that nature that don't match up with the original text because of scribes error or translation error. But we believe and we believe that we can prove that the Bible is still completely and 100% accurate in accordance to what God wants us to know. Right? It's it's not it's not really important for us to know how to pronounce or how to spell some of the old names in the, or some of the names in the Bible, because especially if they're, you know, just kind of listed in a genealogy chapter or, you know, just briefly thrown in in a chapter, you know, it, we, we can certainly learn from those, those men and women, but they're not necessarily salvation issues. And I think that's kind of the, the, the key term for this is that we can trust that what the Bible says about salvation issues is true. And we, we can trust that what we have in the scriptures is from God. I think we also have to remember that I think there's sometimes a misconception. Like we, we sometimes imagine it's like the Holy Spirit is literally writing it. I think it's more so you could disagree with this and that would be alright I'm not claiming to know everything but I think it's more so the Holy Spirit is guiding the person that's writing it and that the they're not possessing them or just creepy stuff that you would see in a horror movie mm-hmm. um, so yeah I, I think that's a good way of looking at it 
right? Because the the Lord would pick out people who had uh, the proper background in order to be able to communicate the Lord's thoughts to a particular audience, right? Look at the example of Luke and Paul. Luke was a Gentile. He was a doctor, so he was a well-educated man. And he traveled with Paul. He collected eyewitness testimony from men like Peter, from men like Paul. And so because of Luke's knowledge, his experience, his education, he was able to communicate the ideas and the, the events that happened in a way that made sense, in a way that helped his audience, his primarily Gentile audience. Paul had extensive training as a, <coughs> as, a as a Jewish uh, rabbi or a, as a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Paul had this great knowledge of the Old Testament, and we can go look, look in any of his epistles and look at how he references the Old Testament, or look at his sermons and look at how he references the Old Testament. He has a great knowledge of the Old Testament, and he would use that when you know, going about missionary journeys trying to spread the word. And so the idea is that God would use certain men. He would, you know, maybe provide things to them uh, and, and kind of give them a path, but he would let that writer, from my understanding, he would let that writer use kind of his own understanding, his own experiences to be able to communicate what God is trying to say. Okay. Um, and yeah, most definitely. Um, and you bring up uh, some good points about uh, Paul. And I know we have later on in this about bringing up 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, but I think it's good to bring it up now, at least to go ahead and reference it now, because I mean, we're, we're talking about inspiration at the moment, but in that verse, it also talks about what we'll address later, which is teaching. And so, um, so we'll go ahead and bring that up now. I gotta pull it up because I for all scripture is given by inspiration of there God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, look at there. I didn't even have to pull it up. I say uh, that's uh, <laughs> funny story. The biggest reason I have that memorized off the top of my head right now is because that was the main focus of uh, youth class that I was asked to help teach over the summer was that verse and talking about, you know, is the Bible inspired? Can we t- know that the Bible is from God? Uh, and so the, the kids and I would work on that verse a bunch. Uh, anyway, long story short, what Paul is saying there to Timothy is that he's saying that, you know, Timothy, we have the word of God. It is given to us by God. It is given to us by inspiration of God. Uh, some translations will use the phrase breathe from God. Or, or, you know, the, all scripture is God breathed. Or God given, and then he says, "You know, Timothy, we we can know that all Scripture is inspired by God, and we can know that." And I think really what Paul was hitting, was referring to there was the Old Testament and the the, the Gospels, and you know the, the New Testament that already had been written, because because uh, Paul Paul's referring to what we have in the, in the Scriptures right now. From my understanding, 2 Timothy is one of the last letters to be added, or excuse me, to be written. Uh, that we have. It, last. It, it definitely was Paul's last. I don't remember for certain if it was no. the last. I think Revelation <coughs> may be after it. but It's not the last, I don't think. It, it's one of the last, at yes. the very least. And so, Paul's saying, you know, what we have so far, that's scripture. He's not including things like, you know, man-made creeds or, or books that came hundreds of years later that men claim to be inspired. And I think that's something that 
we should touch on at least briefly is the fact that there's other books that people claim to have been inspired. Right. Right. Other, other, you know, quote unquote Bibles Mm -hmm. out there that claim divine inspiration. Mm -hmm. But what we're going to look at here later in this episode is is that we can prove the Bible's inspiration in a way that the other, the other, uh, books cannot be proven, uh, to be inspired. So there's two points I want to make. I think I just did something that I did that last episode and forgot both points I was going to make. Okay, but first, um, so I hear a lot that the, the 66 books of our Bible, we, we say that they are inspired, and we make the argument that uh, God would not let his Bible, his scripture, become perverted. And we, we make that argument a lot. I, I hope we see the flaw in that line of thinking, though, because a Mormon who believes in the Mormon Bible can come out and say, well, God would not let his scripture become perverted, so the Book of Mormon is an inspired document. Mm-hmm. They could say something like that. Or you could have hardline Catholics that say, oh, our Apocrypha, that is, that, that's inspired because why would God let his... Scripture become un, uh, perverted. That's not a a good apologetic um, defense of Scripture because any other religion could say, no, nah, God wouldn't let that happen. And then my second point, because I just remembered it, Isaiah mentioned uh, man-made creeds, uh, you know, stuff that make, uh, men make to, to maybe co- commentaries about the Bible, people's opinions of the Bible... Uh, people that letters from back in the day and while we, we have to agree we have to recognize that they, it is not scripture it should not be part of the Bible there is some usefulness to it though we can still read it we can still get stuff from it but we can't treat it like scripture obviously mm-hmm. uh, and I think sometimes especially in churches of Christ we throw that stuff out we don't want to see it we don't want to we don't want to read it as long as it does not contradict Scripture, though, and we're not treating it like Scripture, like it, we have to do this, then I think there is, could be some usefulness in a lot of it. And that's a really good point. You now, know, there's some, like the Book of Mormon, throw that out. That's <laughs> absolute. It, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, and then there's, there's, like, the Gospel of Timothy or whatever. The infant Gospel of of Timothy, uh, or not Timothy, Ta- uh, that, Thomas. There you mm-hmm. go. Infancy Gospel of Thomas. I remember last semester we had fun with that. Um, that that's not okay either. <laughs> that's that's some very good points, Sawyer. <laughs> and I think it's uh, I think it's really important that we look at the fact that you know, you know, we, if someone makes the claim that their book is divinely inspired, whether that be a Christian book or a, a Hindu book or a Buddhist book or Jewish book or whatever, we need to, you know, be able to say, how, why do you say that, right? How can you prove that your book is divinely inspired? And as we mentioned, we believe that the only book that really can stand up to that test is, is the Bible, right? Is the 66 individual books or, or letters that we have in, in our Bibles today, that's what's inspired. That's what's, God's word. And again, I think that we can definitely prove 
that we can, that, or that, that, that this is, I'm sorry, I'm having a brain fart today, but we can prove that this is God's word. This is what God has said to us. And there's a couple different ways that we can do that. First of all, the Old Testament has a lot of prophecies. Mm-hmm. I, I believe uh, I heard somewhere that there's over 300 different prophecies in the Old Testament. And we can look and we can see how the New Testament comes in and fulfills each and every one of these prophecies, right? Especially about Christ. They had prophecies about his birth, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection. They had prophecies about almost everything that Jesus would do or say while on the earth. And we can look and we can connect the dots and we can say, oh, well, this is where Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. And sometimes the New Testament writers will do that for us, right? Especially in accounts of the crucifixion. The New Testament writers will point back to the Old Testament and say, look, this is in fulfillment of a prophecy. This is to fulfill the prophecy that was, uh, you know, that, that was prophesied. They would, they, would, they would say, this is Jesus proving to the world that he, that he is who he says he is, that he is the man, right? And uh, I think a great example of this is Psalm 22. Psalm 22, uh, it, this is really famous because of the opening, uh, opening verse in Psalm 22, where, and, and this is a verse that Jesus quotes while on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we hear that quote, and we read that quote from Jesus on the cross, and we say, oh, that's, that's an odd statement. I preached on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but we say this is an odd statement, right? Why would Jesus say that you know, God has forsaken him? But I think it's important for us to remember the point of Psalms, especially in Jewish culture. They would recognize a psalm and be able to quote you the entirety of a certain psalm, just by hearing the first verse. And so when Jesus quotes the beginning of Psalm 22, uh, what, what should happen in the minds of all those who heard it and in our minds when we go back and read Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We should jump down to verse 18. You know, we, have, we have other passages in Psalm 22, but, uh, but verse 18 is really the one that points it to Christ. And we can really definitely say that this is a messianic prophecy. Well, what does verse 18 say? He says, uh, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And we see this happening in the crucifixion account. We see Jesus being stripped naked and put up on the cross, and the soldiers casting uh, lots for his outer cloak, because it was one piece it wasn't many pieces so they didn't want to have to tear it apart and they would divide the rest of his clothing among them so Jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks down and he sees these Roman soldiers just taking his stuff and that's direct filming of Psalm 22 and verse 18 and this isn't a prophecy that Jesus you know could have fulfilled by himself right it's not like Jesus was up on the cross saying hey how about you guys you know divide uh, my clothes and, and cast lots for my clothes Jesus wasn't up, up, up there on the cross saying that. He was not influencing these soldiers to do that. What it is, it's, it's a prophecy. It's God through the psalmist saying, this is what's going to happen. 
And then it happens. And so we have so many other prophecies like that. Like about how Jesus was portrayed for 30 pieces of silver. We see that in Zechariah chapter 11. And we see that with the story of Judas. So there's just so many prophecies that were fulfilled in, uh, you know, that were made in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in New Testament times or in the intertestinal time. Uh, I've been studying in Daniel recently and a lot of Daniel's later prophecies, Daniel is a really good book, and a lot of his uh, later prophecies relate to what's going to happen to the people of Israel in the intertestamental time. And that's like when Alexander the Great was on the earth and then, you know, his kingdom was split into four, four kingdoms and, uh, you know, all of these things that were, that were happening in that time and uh, in that day and age, Daniel prophesied about and told the, the Israelites what would happen. And so that's one way that we can prove that the Bible is divinely inspired. It's because of all these prophecies, because of all these, you know, things that were said hundreds of years and then hundreds of you know, I'm so sorry, y'all. My brain is not functioning correctly. What I'm trying to say <laughs> is with these prophecies, they were made hundreds of years before they were accomplished. And so this wasn't just someone going back in later and adding these prophecies to make it fit the biblical account. These were men of God saying, sorry? You don't? I, I just had a brain fart. Anyway, <laughs> like I said, sleep. I need sleep. Anyway. It also, does it, it, also doesn't help, <laughs> it also doesn't help that our audience is currently playing Hangman. Yeah, that's a little distracting <laughs> all of us. Anywho, the point is, these men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, made prophecies about Christ hundreds of years before he was on the earth. Mm-hmm. And we have records of this. We have Old Testament copies. We have things like the Dead Sea Scrolls that prove that the Bible is a historically written document. It is written hundreds of years before Jesus walked the earth. So that's just one way that we can prove that the Bible is divinely inspired. Now I have a couple more for you. Now if you were to talk to Donnie DeBoer though about um, Psalm Psalm 22, he would use the word prosopological exodus. Now, I don't understand that. Hopefully, we have some uh, listeners that understand that, but I'm not going to get into it. Now, I wrote down my thoughts (laughs) so that I would not forget. I remember in early Christian theology, Rick Brumbach uh, gave us... He gave us a few things, but I can only remember three at the moment because I have bad memory. Um, Pretty sure I have Alzheimer's. Um, And you're only held. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I have a really bad... uh, memory loss in the episode, the Lord's Supper episode, which you guys will get to. Um, but he get, I can remember these three things. Number one, did an apostle write it, talking about the New Testament, or someone that was close to an apostle? That's the first one to establish if it was canon. Uh, number two, is it from the time period? We have a lot of scripture, or so-called scripture, that is not from the time period of uh, and so they should not be in the Bible. Uh, and then three, did it have Catholic approval? Now, what I mean by Catholic is not uppercase Catholic. Um, ca- all Catholic means is universal. So does it have universal approval throughout the church? Mm-hmm. And that's really how they um, established whether or not it should be uh, put into the Bible. And then s- this uh, second point, this is... 
the apologetic defense we should be making. Earlier I mentioned how some people will make the defense of, oh, God would not let his scripture become perverted. That's a bad defense. This is the proper defense, in, in my opinion. And we see it in scripture. This is how the, apostle, of the apostles defended Christianity. And this is a Christianity defense in general. And it's the resurrection. Okay, if we can prove that the resurrection happened, which we can, we have historical, factual, documented evidence that the resurrection happened. That means that Jesus was divine. That means everything Jesus said was true. And that means we can then uh, prove that Scripture is inspired. And that's the way that we should be defending. That's the biblical way that we should now, in order to sort of bounce off of that, uh, in a sense, and this is uh, something that I think we should address lightly in this episode, and I know we're uh, we're a good bit in, um, and so we may not be able to get too deep into this, but you know, we, we hear a lot of people talk about, or I've been asked a lot about this idea of how do we know that Christianity is the for sure way to get to heaven, and I think, or how do we know that Christianity is the only way to uh, to eternal life, or whatever, some form of that question. And um, and I think it starts with understanding the inspiration of Scripture and understanding where Scripture came from. And so uh, I'm going to open it up to y'all, and I want to uh, – what's y'all's feedback to this question? Like how, how can we know for sure that this what – we're, what we're studying, what we're learning from, from God's Word? Because I'm sure this is a question that's on a lot of viewers' minds. How do we know that this document is for sure uh, true and factual? So number one, I will go back to the resurrection defense. That is the most classic way to do it. And then if there's a Christian, though, that believes in the postmodernist thought, oh, everyone can get to heaven, or uh, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, all you have to do is go to John, I think it's 14. Uh, I was not ready for that, so that's a good question. Yeah, John 14. Uh that, that proves him wrong right there. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Specifically, verse 6 is what he's referring verse to there. Verse 6, yeah. And then something else that we can point to as well is the fact that, you know, not only do we have all of those fulfilled prophecies in the Bible, but we have a lot of scientific and we have a lot of medical knowledge in the scriptures that, again, we can see when these things were written. They were written hundreds, if not thousands of years before men really realized these things. One example of this is Psalm chapter, or excuse me, Psalm number eight and verse eight, which uh, uh, in, in, that, in that Psalm, the psalmist there says, uh, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the pass of the sea. So in, in context, the psalmist is praising God for his creation, for how majestic God is. And so, uh, what, what he's saying there in verse 8 that's really, really important for us is the past of the sea. We didn't understand what that meant until probably about the 1800s. Uh, in the 1800s, and I neglected to look up this man's name, but a, a sailor, someone who was well-versed in you know, nautical knowledge, that's a tongue twister. Try to say that tongue, yeah. not tongue twister. He was good with boats, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and so... Anyway, he was, he was reading the psalm, and he, and he was trying to figure out what the pass of the sea meant. And he, he ended up discovering that the ocean has currents, right? And these currents, they follow the same path every time. And these currents, they will, they will you know, take anything 
in their path along with them. And, they, and we, we can look at the currents that, we, that are in the oceans right now, and that wasn't something that we discovered until like the 18-1900s. The Bible knew about it immediately. Why? Because the Bible is God's word, and God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, so that was, that's one example of scientific knowledge. A different example is on medical knowledge. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you are probably familiar with the idea of circumcision. And circumcision was a sign between the Israelites, specifically the male Israelites, and God, that the covenant between God and the Israelites was going to be kept. God had already proven himself to be faithful, and the Israelites, in order to prove that they were going to be faithful, had to be circumcised. Again, this is just for the males. If you understand what circumcision, circumcision is, you understand why. And we're not going to go into the details of it, but the point is, it's a procedure that removes a piece of skin from a male. Uh, and nowadays, we understand that when doing that, that has medical benefits that helps prevent uh, infection and things of that nature. They didn't understand any of that. But it also uh, God also commanded for them to do it on the eighth day of someone's life. And they didn't understand why they were doing that either. But the idea is that on the eighth day of a male's life, there's a certain <laughs> protein that is more present than it will ever be again. And so that, help, that protein helps with blood flow. It, it clots uh, when, when there's a, a cut on the skin. And so when God said, do this procedure on the eighth day, he did so because he knew how he created human knowledge. And we can look at you know, the proteins and, and then the, the parts of the body now and, and look at how amazingly we are created and, and how much knowledge God had and how much he gave of that to the Israelites, even though they weren't, they, they didn't understand it at the time, we can understand it now. And so not only do we have fulfilled knowledge in the scripture, or excuse me, fulfilled prophecy in the scripture, but we also have tons of scientific and medical knowledge that the people of that day and age did not have the technology to understand. God still commanded it. God still said uh, to do these things. They, they didn't understand why, but we have the hindsight to be able to understand it. Oh, well, we appreciate your medical knowledge, Isaiah. You should be a doctor. Yeah, so, you know, we see many reasons as to why uh, people would say that the Bible was written, but I think there's three important reasons that we could really back up a scripture as to why the Bible was written. And I think one of the first ones that we can really highlight and focus on is the Bible was written for us to believe. Um, and scripture even outlines that. Jesus even tells us that scripture was written so that we may believe. Specifically in the context of John chapter 20 and verse 31, which is what I'm talking about. He's talking about the miracles and the things that he has done on this earth uh, during his ministry. These were done and these were recorded so that we could believe that he was the real Messiah, the one who came to earth, the one who, uh, who was the true Savior. And he wrote these things so that we could ultimately read these things and uh, know that he existed and that his power is real. And so um, that is one key thing. And I'll let Sawyer add his thoughts to this point as well. I will say um, this. I've been doing a uh, Bible study of John at Beardstown, which is one of the churches that I preach at. And I will say it's very important in John. Like, that is the mission statement of John. We have, right. we have looked at that a lot in the Bible class. 
Um, so, John could just be talking about John, but he could also be talking about the rest of the Bible. And I think it is fair to say that the rest of the Bible is was written for one uh, for for the reason of so that we can believe. Um, and there's obviously more reasons. I will say a, another reason, which I don't think is uh, one of Walker's reasons. It's so that he can, so God can sh- reveal himself, basically. That is the, in my opinion, the primary reason the Bible was written. Uh, it is divine revelation. It is God showing us who he is, what he wants from us, and what his plan is for us. And his, him just revealing his nature to us. And that's just beautiful uh, to think about whenever we're, we're looking at scripture and just seeing that God has a plan for us, and he's, he wants us to know his nature. He wants us to know about his son. He wants us to know about the salvation which he offers. That's a really great point, Sawyer. So, like, like you were saying, it's, it's God's word, right? That's how he talks to us. You know, if you're in a relationship, whether that be romantic or you know, friendship or it's a family member or whatever, communication is key, Right? You have to be able to express your feelings to the other person, and they have to be able to express your feelings to someone else, or to, to, uh, to you. And so, this is how God communicates to us, is through His Word. Uh, and not only does He communicate to us, but He tells us the history, uh, and, and that's, that's really why we have the Old Testament, is to kind of give us the history, give us the, the background, give us the knowledge to really understand who Jesus is and, and why he needed to come, right? And so the Old Testament kind of lays this foundation, you know, this is who the Messiah will be, Gospels, this is who he is, and then uh, the rest of the New Testament, this is what it means for us. Uh, and so definitely, <coughs> Bible is God's word, it's his way of communicating with us, it's to teach us what we need to do, like we talked about earlier with Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, and like Walker said, it's to get us to believe in him, right? The reason that God ha- wants a relationship with us, the reason that God chooses to communicate with us, the reason that God chose to send Christ to die on the cross, because he wants us to be saved. That's the most important thing. And so that's why the Bible was written. It's a way for God to communicate with us. It's a way for him to teach us. It's a way for him to help us believe in him. I'll also add, regarding the teaching... Every bit of scripture must be used for teaching. If, it, if we are really to believe that it is inspired, that it is the word of God, then every bit of it is useful. I know someday I'm going to have to preach Song of Solomon. And I'm actually looking forward to that day because it will be very interesting. <laughs> but I, that's something that we cannot dodge. I, I know a lot of preachers that they will stick to particular texts. And it seems like almost every week they're preaching out of that same text every week. There are so many scriptures you can use, and we have to we have to be diverse in our our preaching. We have to preach on multitudes of things because that's what the Bible is. It's a multitude of things. There's a lot in it, mm-hmm. and there's no way that in our lifetime we can preach it all. But we we as as I know we have three ministers uh, wanting to be ministers in here, um, and we have a duty from God to preach, of, uh, preach it as much as we can. And that's why we created this podcast, not necessarily that we could preach to you, but that we <laughs> could 
teach to you some topics that are are afraid to be talked about within the church today, within um, different things like that. And so we, we want to address these issues uh, head on, and that's why we feel that this episode really should have been an earlier episode than season three, honestly. But nonetheless, we're here now talking about the inspiration of Scripture, and um, – and it is definitely something that needs to be used for our teaching because there is a lot that we can learn from Scripture if we take the time to actually sit and to uh, study what God's Word has to say. And I think that brings up a little tangent here. And that is, um, you know, this this episode really should push us to think about how often we spend um, studying God's Word, uh, how often we spend studying His Scripture because uh, if we truly believe that it is, it is the inspired word, it will push us to uh, to study his word more. It will push us to learn more about his teachings, to learn more about why we believe what we believe. It will push us to ask questions, but ultimately we'll be able to see through scripture, through our study, that what what we do, what scripture is designed for, is designed to ultimately bring God the glory in the end. And so that's our last point that we're going to really hit on and these reasons of why the Bible was written is because not only is it a way for God to communicate his thoughts and his plans to us, but it's also a way for us to see his glory revealed throughout scripture. And this is uh, this really ties in everything that we've sort of talked about thus far. Isaiah mentioned earlier about the prophecies that we that we see in the Old Testament and the, them being fulfilled. And that's one of the ways that we see God's glory happening throughout Scripture because we see these things that were uh, that were prophesied in the Old Testament and then the New Testament comes and they talk about them and they reference even Scriptures in the Old Testament that discuss these things as well. And so we see those things being fulfilled and thus we see God's glory being resulted in the end. We see people being killed in the book of John. People, constant people are constantly being killed time and time again. A few things that come to mind is John chapter 8. Whenever the, uh, whenever the man was laying at the pool of Bethsaida and he was paralyzed for 38 years and Jesus came and he healed him. And it was through that that people were able to see God's glory. They were able to see his teachings. They were able to see why he existed. They were able to know that that Jesus existed because of what he did in that moment, because of the miracle, because he did it instantaneously, because he healed that man on the spot. People were able to see that this is why we serve who we serve, because our God is great, and he is a God who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing. And lastly, we see that uh, through the stories that we share and that through the stories that he shares throughout Scripture, you know, we, we often refer to the gospel accounts whenever we talk in these episodes, and uh, there, there's countless stories that are not in the gospels that we could look at to prove God's glory. And we see uh, just through some of the stories that we mentioned, um, God's glory being revealed, like John 8. Uh, you could look at John 5. You could look at just really read through the book of John, and you'll see countless stories over and over and over again. You'll also see them in Luke and in Matthew. And in all the other books in the Bible, you'll see stories that you can read and just see God's story uh, coming together, seeing the story of redemption. And really, the story of redemption begins back in Genesis. If you read Genesis 1 and verse 1, you see the story that's beginning to be shared, and it continues on throughout Revelation. All right, I've talked enough. I, I saw your... yeah, that, those are great thoughts, and I don't have a lot to add, but it's very important that we look at the Bible as a as a book that just 
is collective. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a full story. We have it all laid in front of us. It is God's divine word. We we got from Genesis to Revelation, like uh, Walker said, just so much helpfulness. God revealing His glory, and it, it it's beautiful that God chose God chose that scripture that writing would be the method by which he would reveal himself. That's what God chose to do, and it is, it's, like Walker said, very important that we read it, that we study it, that we, we be around it as much as we possibly can. The Bible was written so that we could fall in love with Jesus, that we could fall in love with Jesus more. It's really, uh, it's been once said that the Bible is the greatest love story that's ever written, and I truly believe that. It, it may not seem at it, uh, like it at times whenever you read throughout Scripture. It can get really depressing, um, and it can become really boring, especially if you're reading through the book of Leviticus whenever it's focusing on all these laws and different things like that. But uh, if you get through those parts and you can understand the history and you can understand the context surrounding those things and you keep on going, you see this one big story, and it's the, and it's the story of – of the redemption of man, the story that Jesus loves us and that he has a desire for us to be with him is the story that he chose us to be called out, to be the ecclesia, to be the church. He, he called us to, uh, to do the work that he started. And as we read of beginning in the gospel accounts, he, he calls us to continue that work. He calls us to keep on with that. But we first have to uh, we first have to be fully convicted of what Scripture has to say. We first have to know that this is the inspired word. We first must be fully uh, convinced that this is um, something that comes from God and that ultimately everything that is said throughout Scripture will ultimately be fulfilled in the end. And I will say, uh, well, maybe I won't say because I might have just forgotten, but <laughs> <laughs> we, so, so, Scripture, it, it reveals God's love, like Walker said. It reveals his holiness. It reveals his righteousness. It reveals his divinity. It, it reveals so much about God. And it, it's, it's so beautiful to, to see that. And you mentioned Leviticus, but even in Leviticus, we can see God's glory. Even in the books that we, we maybe don't get, or the books that maybe some people would say God seems violent in. It's still so important that we read it, that we, that we see God's divinity, that we see his power, we see his might, we see his holiness, we see his righteousness, we see his love. Mm-hmm. And all of that comes together to give us this beautiful description of who God really is. Amen. And, um, <coughs> and then lastly, I think one of the things that we need to hit on whenever we focus on the inspiration of Scripture, and of course, we could go on and on and on about proving the inspiration of Scripture, but I think it's important to really discuss briefly, I mean, who wrote the Bible? Because we, we see all these different books. We have 66 of them, and we may think, well, there's just 66 authors, but there's way more than just 66 authors to the Bible because uh, we, we truly don't know how many people contributed to the to writing of scripture but we know that each and every one of them was inspired men chosen by god who uh who wrote what god had to say Sorry. yeah so this is something that i wanted to add we probably should have talked about it earlier because i thought what we just talked about would have been a great end but yeah we'll, we'll discuss this real fast um i always heard in in youth classes that about 40 men wrote the bible mm-hmm. That, that's simply not true. Um, you look back at the Old Testament, you look at a book like Daniel, 
it's highly likely that maybe Daniel wrote a little bit of it, but he did not write the full book. Mm-hmm. Or you look at a book like, uh, while we're going over uh, Joshua in uh, Joshua Judges Ruth class, Joshua likely did not write Joshua. And we see that a lot in the Old Testament. New Testament's a little bit different, but even if you look at a book uh, like... Hebrews. like Yeah, Hebrew. Well, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Right. Um, I'm, I'm suggesting a book... Like uh, like first and second Peter, Peter could not write. <laughs> okay, so likely a, his secretary did it, and Peter told him what to write. Um, See, secretaries are scriptural, so. And that would that would um, that would answer why we see a very big shift between the the Greek in first Peter and the Greek in second Peter, and it's because the author changed, but it was still Peter that was giving the information. Um, and so, but ultimately, at the end of the day, God wrote the Bible. Yeah. God ordered what would have been written. God inspired every bit of it, mm-hmm. and that's why we should still have confidence in the Scripture. Amen. Isaiah, do you have anything else you want to add? I think I've done enough talking <laughs> today. Um, I will say, this is something that we didn't go into a ton of depth on. And there's certainly some things that I know I did not explain very well, at the very least. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us. We would love to sit down and talk Message with you. Message me anytime. What? <laughs> Message me anytime. Yeah. You can reach out to Sawyer if you so choose. If you want to reach out to us, we have an Instagram page, <laughs> T-T-E-O-J underscore podcast. We have a Facebook page, Through the Eyes of Jesus. And we have a website, T-T-E-O-J.com. There also is a phone number you can text. That's the one. What? Don't (laughs) confuse people. They've already had to listen to me for an hour. They're already confused. Anyway, the point is, if we said something in this episode that you may not understand or that you may not have been able to understand because of me, then let us know and uh, we'll be glad to to talk with you, especially about the scriptures. And if there's nothing else further, then Walker, will you go ahead and close this out in prayer? Yeah, let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for this time that we get to really open up your word, dive deep into it, and learn that you are the inspired author, that you were the one who decided to choose men to to write the things that you wanted us to know, and you decided through your word to show us one of the greatest stories that was ever written, and you, through your word, have taught us so many things. You've shown us and uh, proved to us that we are your chosen people, that we are called to be a part of your kingdom, and that you ultimately want us to spend eternity with you. And if we fully are convinced of that, we will do whatever it takes to grow closer to you, to draw closer to you, and to uh, learn from your word and to uh, follow what your word has to say. Be with us, strengthen us, and guide us. Thank you for Sawyer and all that he brings to the table uh, regarding scripture. We're thankful for his uh, studies. We're thankful for Isaiah and the good work that he does. He uh, he is a true man of God, and he is a faithful servant to you. Please continue to bless him and bless Sawyer as well as they uh, go throughout their future endeavors. Um, be with this podcast as we continue to go throughout season three, addressing topics that may be controversial to some, but we pray that all that we do is addressed in love, is addressed in truth, and is addressed in sincerity. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for us. And it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen.